This is day 141 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Isaiah chapters 22 through 26. Lord God, you are so good. You are so good to us. You are so mighty and righteous. You're so wise and so powerful. Why do we look away from you so often? Why is it that we don't run to you every day and just fear you and show that reverence that you desire from us? Why is it that simply because you're invisible and we don't have a tangible version of you that we so quickly walk away from you? Lord, it's almost like long-distance relationships where we don't see the other person on the other side of the phone and so often these relationships dissolve and Lord, you have given us your word. You've given us this closeness that you allow us to have with you. Just because we can't see you, Lord, doesn't mean we can't have faith. And we, we see this word as an extension of you, that we can have that closeness with you in prayer and through spending time with you in your word. Please bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The Oracle Concerning the Valley of Vision What is the matter with you now, that you have all gone up to the housetops? You who are full of noise, you boisterous town, you exultant city. Your slain were not slain with the sword, nor did they die in battle. All your rulers have fled together, and have been captured without the bow. All of you who were found were taken captive together though they have fled far away. Therefore I say, turn your eyes away from me. Let me weep bitterly. Do not try to comfort me concerning the destruction of the daughter of my people. For the Lord God of hosts has a day of panic, subjugation, and confusion in the valley of vision, a breaking down of walls and a crying to the mountain. Elam took up the quiver with the chariots, infantry, and horsemen. And Kir uncovered the shield. Then your choicest valleys were full of chariots, and the horsemen took up fixed positions at the gates. And he removed the defense of Judah. In that day you depended on the weapons of the house of the forest, and you saw that the breaches in the wall of the city of David were many. And you collected the waters of the lower pool then you counted the houses of Jerusalem, and tore down houses to fortify the wall. And you made a reservoir between the two walls, for the waters of the old pool. But you did not depend on him who made it, nor did you take into consideration him who planned it long ago. Therefore in that day the Lord God of hosts called you to weeping, to wailing, to shaving the head, and to wearing sackcloth. Instead, there is gaiety and gladness, killing of cattle and slaughtering of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we may die. But the Lord of hosts revealed himself to me. Surely this iniquity shall not be forgiven you until you die, says the Lord God of hosts. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Come, go to this steward, to Shebna, 
who is in charge of the royal household. What right do you have here, and whom do you have here, that you have hewn a tomb for yourself here, you who hew a tomb on the height, you who carve a resting place for yourself in the rock? Behold, the Lord is about to hurt you headlong, O man, and he is about to grasp you firmly and roll you tightly like a ball to be cast into a vast country, and there you will die, and there your splendid chariots will be, you shame of your master's house. I will depose you from your office, and I will pull you down from your station. Then it will come about in that day that I will summon my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your tunic, and tie your sash securely about him. I will entrust him with your authority, and he will become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. I will drive him like a peg in a firm place and he will become a throne of glory to his father's house. So they will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, offspring and issue, all the feasts of vessels, from bowls to all the jars. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg driven in a firm place will give way. It will even break off and fall, and the load hanging on it will be cut off. For the Lord has spoken. The Oracle Concerning Tyre Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is destroyed, without house or harbor. It is reported to them from the land of Cyprus. Be silent, you inhabitants of the coastland, you merchants of Sidon. Your messengers crossed the sea and were on many waters. The grain of the Nile the harvest of the river was her revenue, and she was the market of nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea speaks, the stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither travailed nor given birth. I have neither brought up young men nor reared virgins. When the report reaches Egypt, they will be in anguish at the report of Tyre. Pass over to Tarshish, Wail, O inhabitants of the coastland! Is this your jubilant city, whose origin is from antiquity, whose feet used to carry her to colonize distant places? Who has planned this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth? The Lord of hosts has planned it, to defile the pride of all beauty to despise all the honored of the earth. Overflow your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no more restraint. He has stretched his hand out over the sea. He has made the kingdoms tremble. The Lord has given a command concerning Canaan to demolish its strongholds. He has said, You shall exult no more, O crushed virgin daughter of Sidon, arise, pass over to Cyprus, even there you will find no rest. 
Behold, the land of the Chaldeans, this is the people which was not. Assyria appointed it for desert creatures. They erected their siege towers. They stripped its palaces. They made it a ruin. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is destroyed. Now in that day, Tyre will be forgotten for seventy years, like the days of one king. At the end of seventy years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the harlot. Take your harp, walk about the city, O forgotten harlot. Pluck the strings carefully. Sing many skillful songs, that you may be remembered. It will come about at the end of seventy years that the Lord will visit Tyre. Then she will go back to her harlot's wages and will play the harlot with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Her gain and her harlot's wages will be set apart to the Lord. It will not be stored up or hoarded, but her gain will become sufficient food and choice attire for those who dwell in the presence of the Lord. Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. And the people will be like the priest, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, a creditor like the debtor. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world fades and withers, the exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. The new wine mourns, the vine decays, all the merry-hearted sigh. The gaiety of tambourines ceases, the noise of revelers stops, the gaiety of the harp ceases. They do not drink wine with song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of chaos is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none may enter. There is an outcry in the streets concerning the wine. All joy turns to gloom. The gaiety of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city, and the gate is battered to ruins. For thus it will be in the midst of the earth among the peoples, as the shaking of an olive tree, as the gleanings when the grape harvest is over. They raise their voices, they shout for joy, they cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. Therefore glorify the Lord in the east, the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs, glory to the righteous one. But I say, woe to me, woe to me, alas for me. The treacherous deal treacherously, 
and the treacherous deal very treacherously. Terror and pit and snare confront you, O inhabitant of the earth. Then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare, for the windows above are opened, and the foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard, and it totters like a shack, for its transgression is heavy upon it, and it will fall, never to rise again. So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth. They will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison, and after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and his glory will be before his elders. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago, with perfect faithfulness. For you have made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin, a palace of strangers is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall. Like heat in drought, you subdue the uproar of aliens. Like heat by the shadow of a cloud, the song of the ruthless is silenced. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God, for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord, for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab will be trodden down in his place as straw is trodden down in the water of a manure pile. And he will spread out his hands in the middle of it, as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pride, together with the trickery of his hands. 
the unassailable fortifications of your walls he will bring down. Lay low and cast to the ground, even to the dust. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the one that remains faithful. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. For he has brought low those who dwell on high, the unassailable city. He lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He casts it to the dust. The foot will trample it, the feet of the afflicted, the steps of the helpless. The way of the righteous is smooth. O upright one, make the path of the righteous level. Indeed, while following the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you eagerly. Your name, even your memory, is the desire of our souls. At night, my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. For when the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Though the wicked is shown favor, he does not learn righteousness. He deals unjustly in the land of uprightness and does not perceive the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, yet they do not see it. They see your zeal for the people and are put to shame. Indeed, fire will devour your enemies. Lord, you will establish peace for us, since you have also performed for us all our works. O Lord our God, other masters besides you have ruled us, but through you alone we confess your name. The dead will not live. The departed spirits will not rise. Therefore you have punished and destroyed them, and you have wiped out all remembrance of them. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have extended all the borders of the land. O Lord, they sought you in distress. They could only whisper a prayer. Your chastening was upon them. As the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she writhes and cries out in her labor pains. Thus were we before you, O Lord. We were pregnant. We writhed in labor. We gave birth, as it seems, only to wind. We could not accomplish deliverance for the earth, nor were inhabitants of the world born. Your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. 
hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. Today was a fascinating read. So there's some that we can move through very quickly, but there's some that we really need to slow down and examine. So let's go ahead and do just that. So chapter 22 is judgment against Jerusalem itself. So we know that this is before the exile. So not only is Isaiah declaring that there will be an exile because they are trusting in the wrong things, which they are trusting in Egypt, they're trusting in their allies, they're trusting in themselves and their idolatry, but they're not trusting in the Lord. So, for example, he uses someone like Shebna in verse 15. Shebna was someone that we'll see in the future chapters of Isaiah, but he is someone who was pro-Egypt. He was one of those officials that was high in the government structure, and he trusted in Egypt, and so much so that he ordered a tomb for himself to be built, apparently, not knowing that they were soon going to be exiled, and he would not be able to be buried in that very tomb. But instead, he would die in exile and be buried in obscurity. So that's the kind of security that is being demonstrated here by the people of Israel. They think they're so secure because they are God's people, because they're in a valley surrounded by mountains, and they have no idea how they are going to be utterly wiped out. And God makes it very clear that it was him who did it. Like it says in verse 11, you made a reservoir between the two walls from the waters of the old pool, which is actually something that Hezekiah did. Hezekiah actually made like an aqueduct system, a reservoir system, to provide water in case of an invasion. That way, if they're under siege, they are not without water. So that was very clever of him. But even though you did that, you did not depend on him who made it nor did you take into consideration him who planned it long ago. So you can trust in your water and your inventions and your technology, but you need to trust in the Lord. He's the one who has designated this to happen. Like it says in verse 12, Therefore in that day the Lord God of hosts called you to weeping, to wailing, to shaving the head, and to wearing sackcloth, giving you imagery of being extremely humbled because of your lack of obedience and your idolatry. Now, when you read verse 14 by itself, it seems very harsh for God to say this. But he says here, Surely this iniquity shall not be forgiven you until you die. I thought you were a God of forgiveness, Lord. Well, it's very similar to how he handled the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. What did he say? He said, This particular generation continually, nonstop, disobeys and does not trust me. Therefore, they will die in this wilderness, 
And once they die, then we will go into the promised land. So it's the same kind of understanding is that this generation is a generation of fools. Now again, I think we've talked about this before, but the word fool is a very dangerous word to use because it literally means someone who is irredeemable. So by calling somebody a fool is not a good thing to do because all humans are able to be redeemed. No one is beyond God's grasp. But when God himself declares somebody to be irredeemable in that they are so stubborn and so far in their wickedness that they will refuse to obey God till the day they die, then that's what's going to happen. And so we see this happen with the people of Jerusalem at this time. They will be exiled, and then when the next generation comes up, God will start over with them and bring them back into the land he had promised from the beginning. That's why he mentions in verse 20 that he will summon his servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. We have seen this name before in 2 Kings chapter 18, but we're also going to see him again later in the book of Isaiah as well. But he is a replacement for this other guy, Shebna, and he is going to do what is right in God's sight. And God describes him as a peg in a firm place. Think about if you're going camping, right? And you have to hammer your pegs into the ground in order to make sure your tent doesn't blow away. You want to put it somewhere that has good, hard soil, right? Because if you don't, then it will quickly be uprooted and you might wake up in the middle of the night without a tent. So we want to be the same thing in God's sight. We want to be pegs in a firm place. In our spiritual lives, we want to be immovable. When things are going on in our lives that cause us to be discouraged or upset or stressed, we don't want to turn tail and run. We don't want to abandon the Lord and try to comfort ourselves in different things that the world offers. We want to stay put. And in those moments, we recognize, I can go and sin and I'll feel satisfied for the moment, but I will damage my relationship with God. Shouldn't I go straight to the Lord who is able to comfort me? Isn't his grace sufficient? So this, that's the attitude we need to have. And we need to plant ourselves firm in God's word and not deviate from it. Chapter 23 is judgment against the kingdom of Tyre. Now, we know that this is not the, a permanent destruction because in the days of Christ, he went to Tyre. Tyre and Sidon are still around, but maybe not in the same way they were then. Because it seems like here they were a whole kingdom. But in the days of Jesus, it was almost as if they were a town passing by. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's just the illustration it, it appears to be. But we see that the, the main overarching theme of this is that those who are prideful are going to get cast down. God humbles the proud. 
and it's not pretty to see. So apparently they are very arrogant people. They are known for being good merchants. They're known for, like he says in verse 8, Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth. And God says in verse 9 that he has a plan to defile the pride of all beauty and to despise all the honored of the earth because they honor themselves over him. He is going to frustrate the plans of the wicked and he's going to cast down the proud. That is a reoccurring theme throughout the entirety of Scripture because he does not want people to be proud. He wants people to acknowledge him and glorify him and not ourselves. Now it mentions in verse 15 that Tyre will be destroyed in 70 years. So when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is going on his conquest, he is going to destroy Tyre, and it will be weak and poor in his day. And then under the Persians, it does receive some of its power back, but not too long after that, then we see a very famous person go on his conquest, and Tyre shows to be utterly destroyed as well. And that person is Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great is mentioned in the Bible, and he is going to be utterly destroying the city of Tyre. Like I was saying, that's why it seems like in the days of Jesus, which is, you know, a few hundred years after that, that area still exists, but it's not in the same way it used to be, because it seemed to be a great kingdom at once, and now it is a simple, uh, poor area, village kind of area. So very different structure than it was in those days. Chapter 24 is an interesting chapter. This is what is commonly referred to as the Apocalypse of Isaiah. So this is mostly talking about the future kingdom to come, as well as a look at the tribulation. And the tribulation is that period of time where we see God's judgment being poured out over the earth. And then at the end of it all, then we will see the blessings of the 1,000-year reign of Christ. So that's why you see all this really negative stuff. You know, I would, as I was reading it, I can see why some people at a glance would say, the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. There's no way that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. But when we understand God more deeply, and we understand he, how he is a God of love, and he is a God of compassion, and a God of grace. But that's only half of his description. That's only half of his attributes. He is also a God of vengeance. He is also a God of punishment. He is also a God of justice. You can't have one without the other. You can't have his love without his justice, because that is the complete picture of God. God loves his people. But at the same time, he will not allow sin to triumph. He will not allow sin to be in his presence. And he has declared 
for centuries, for millennia, that those who are against him are his enemies, and he will cast you out. So none of this should surprise us, because the people of this world have been given many chances to accept the Lord for who he is. Romans chapter 1 is a very good place to illustrate that, where it says that God has his his attributes throughout all the creation. So it's impossible to look into the sky and see the marvel of the universe and not recognize there's a God. Everybody knows deep down inside that there is a God. And he has made himself known, but they have rejected what they have seen. So God has rejected them, and he has punished them severely. And that's what's going to happen at the end. It's not going to be pretty, but it is necessary because God has promised that he will punish the unrighteous. They've had their fun on the earth at this time, and they have refused to acknowledge who the Lord is. Therefore, he is going to make them know who he is. Like I've said before, when they go and stand before his throne in judgment, you will either bow willingly or you will be forced to your knees. That is how God will do it. This is a clear illustration of what that's going to look like. And then we have a beautiful shift in chapter 25. We see that the tribulation is over, and we see the good things. We see blessings. We see triumph. And we start with such beautiful descriptions of God in in the very, very first verse. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. And then he describes and praises God for all the wonder that he is. And rightly so, because that's how he treats his children. He has been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy, a refuge from the storm, like it says in verse 4. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. What mountain is this? Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem, the city that comes out of heaven. And all those that are able to go into this city will be feasting and be prospering for all eternity. And most of all, verse 7, he'll swallow up the covering which is over all peoples and stretched over all nations. What covering? What veil? There is something that has been in the way between us and God from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Sin. Sin has been in the way. And what has sin brought into the world? Sin brought death and decay. But verse 8 is a fulfillment of its eradication. He will swallow up death for all time. The Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. Read Revelation. That's exactly the same language. And he will remove the reproach of all his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And when the Lord speaks, he means it. And it will come to pass. That's what we have to look forward to. Can you even imagine what kind of a world that would be? Where no one is 
feeling any pain anymore. No one has any reason to despair. The ground doesn't fight you when you work. Everything you do produces results. I mean, that blows my mind just thinking about that. When everything is going to be perfect, it's bizarre to us because it's just so far gone from what this world is right now. But yet we see these glimmers of hope and understanding by looking at God in the Bible. He is making us more like Him every day. That is the process of sanctification. We should be improving every day because we are investing in ourselves and we're investing in Him. But we'll never reach perfection, not as long as we're alive. But when we go to the world beyond, then we will be made perfect, just like He is perfect. We have to look forward to that. And that's so that's the hope we have. And then we get to do that for eternity, which I can't even fathom what it feels like that it will never end. It gives me the willies sometimes. And and even sometimes my body fights it because it tries to comprehend perfection. It tries to comprehend death and the removing of the shackles of this body. And my body shudders in fear because it is something far beyond what it's capable of. And it's not going to come with me. This body will in a different form, but the death and decay in it will be gone. The sin nature will be gone forever. Praise the Lord that he's done this for us. He didn't have to do this, but he chose to do this. And praise be to him. I highly recommend you spend some part of this week really digesting and dissecting chapter 26. This is a beautiful chapter. I had so much joy reading it. This is what it's going to look like when we all are in the Millennial City, when we are in New Jerusalem during the 1,000-year reign of Christ, and then forevermore. This is what it's going to look like. According to verse 1, this is the song that will be sung in the land of Judah, which is going to be in the future kingdom. We have a strong city. He sets up walls and ramparts for security. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. The one that remains faithful. And then we go to verse 3, a very powerful verse. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in you. That term, perfect peace, in the literal Hebrew, peace is shalom. In here, perfect peace is literally shalom, shalom. And that, because in the way that the Hebrew language is, is that if you repeat something, it intensifies, it amplifies its meaning. So in this case, when they say shalom, shalom, this is a full, complete peace, an intimate peace. That's why often you would see in the Bible, when God is calling somebody by name, so often he repeats their name twice. Samuel, Samuel. Moses, Moses. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
that repeating is important because it's showing the intimacy that someone has with someone else. The Bible said in the book of Psalms that God is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. So he knows us. He knows us very well. So when he calls us, he calls us by name in such a fashion. And he calls us to shalom, shalom, perfect peace, because we trust in him. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. The rock of ages. That's what it literally says here. The rock of ages, who is Jesus Christ. I like verse 7 as well. The way of the righteous is smooth. O upright one, make the path of the righteous level. Reminds me of the Proverbs, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. But not only that, but he will make your paths straight and level. Verse 9 is also a very interesting verse, because it says, For when the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. The world finally understands what it means to be punished for your sin. And they recognize we're doing something wrong. Maybe we should think about it like this. When times are good, how often does that bring us closer to God? I think more often than not, when things are very good in our lives, we tend to forget him. We don't always stay put with him. We tend to take our foot off the gas, so to speak. That may not apply to everyone, and that may not be every time, but so often in my life, for example, I go off track when things are going very well, because I get complacent. And we can see that complacency in the people of the world today. Because like it says in verse 10, Though the wicked is shown favor, God pours out his grace on everyone. Not just his chosen people, but all people are experiencing grace. Like it says in the New Testament that the sun shines on the unrighteous and the righteous. God calls rain on the sinner and the righteous. So his grace is on everyone. It's on the whole earth. And though their wicked is shown favor, he does not learn righteousness. He deals unjustly in the land of uprightness and does not perceive the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, yet they do not see it. What is he saying here? I imagine it like this, where God is ready to slap some sense into you and you're not responding. God is constantly ready to put action into his word by punishing wicked people. But when they see the zeal of his people, they are put to shame. We need to be those people that have zeal for the Lord. And when we have zeal, we have that passion, that energetic passion for the gospel that should bring people to shame because they recognize how dirty they are or how different we are because the Lord is with us. And if they don't respond to even that, it says that fire will devour your enemies. And this applies in two ways. 
because when the world is going to be destroyed and the new heavens and the new earth come in, the world is going to be destroyed by fire, according to the New Testament. But secondly is, they will be serving an eternal fire in hell. So both apply here. And finally, a couple of other ones to examine here are verses 18 and 19. We were pregnant, we writhed in labor, we gave birth, as it seems, only to wind. That sounds familiar. Doesn't that kind of sound like Ecclesiastes? Where everything is vanity and chasing after wind? Where everything's just pointless? So that's how it was. We struggle and we do all these things on earth as unrighteous people, and it's all pointless. We gave birth, as it seems, only to wind. We could not accomplish deliverance for the earth, nor were inhabitants of the world born. Inhabitants of righteousness. But yet God is the one who causes all these things to be. And verse 19 here is a beautiful description of the bodily resurrection of believers in the Old Testament. Job is another good one where he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last I will see him with my own eyes, meaning that there will be a bodily resurrection. Daniel is also going to have one. But here is a clear example that there is a bodily resurrection from the dead. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise, you who lie in the dust awake and shout for joy. When God is going to give us our glorified bodies and we're dead, we will be called out of the grave. And our bodies will join with our souls once again, and we will become glorified forever when we meet the Lord in the air. But this is also a beautiful description of how we as human beings are walking corpses. Those who do not have the Holy Spirit within them are described as being dead in their trespasses. And the dead cannot praise God. We are utterly dead before salvation. And the dead will live. Our corpses will rise. When we are transformed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, He gives us life. And this body becomes His. So in both ways this applies, but this is more directly towards the resurrection of the dead at the end times. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.